Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermode. I caught up with two visiting farmers at an event held by the Rural Business Consultancy. And I catch up with David Radcliffe from Russian Commissioners about a tree planting initiative in the Russian parish. Well, first, uh, Kiri, Storm Kira has been causing a bit of trouble. Uh, have you heard much uh, of the damage or problems that uh, it's set upon the Isle of Man farm and fraternity? No, I think many farmers were prepared. Um, you know, roofs and that sort of um, material that could potentially fly off were well battened down. We were warned well in advance, so hopefully people were prepared. But I think our friends over the water, some of their farm and enterprises have really been struck, especially with the flooding. And um, some of the photographs on Facebook and on the farm and media um, is not ideal, especially at this time of year, pregnant ewes and a lot of animals housed. The farmyards are, are just flooded. Yeah, and we, we talk about the importance of, of um, buying local and supporting the local farming industry and stuff, you know, in the shops and things. But, of course, it, it can cause difficulties with the boats not coming in for feed and specialised minerals and stuff to, to feed the animals. Absolutely. Some corn is grown and many farmers do grow their own own cereals whether it's peas beans and and can be bought locally but it's not enough of it and so we have the local merchants all around the island that will bring their their wares in from the uk so mezzeron in ramsey will probably deal quite a bit of the the haulage so it might be a little bit easier for them to get off with bigger freight stronger freight boats but if they're relying on the ben mccree um she does her best 364 days of the year um and yeah it is a lifeline really for agriculture too yeah, but because a lot of people we've spoke about the last couple of weeks, people lambing, but it's not a disaster. It's it's a lot of the cold and blizzards that affect the the lambs more a lot of the time, isn't it? It is that cold, mm. that persistent cold, and the and the driving uh, wind. That's the thing that chills them. And they're only so small, and and they, and they can get you know hypothermia and perish and die. But um, farmers are very vigilant. We're lucky we've got a great farmer community and many people in the countryside will keep an eye out if anything does go adrift. But uh, no, at the minute, the rain is it's not too bad. It's not too cold. But the in the next few days... But before the storms happened, Kiri, you were a, went along to an event that was run by the Rural Business Consultancy. Yeah, Chris Neal, uh, the head of Rural Business Consultancy and Barclays Bank here on the Isle of Man, held an event at the Timwald Mills, um, bringing two guest speakers over, which they do annually now, a great event. And the two speakers are usually award-winning uh, farmers from Ireland or anywhere in the UK. And this time we had uh, Ian Norbury, who had Abdi Angus's from Cheshire, uh, had a, an award-winning enterprise and uh, Roger Bell from County Antrim in Northern Ireland and I caught up with Roger to chat about his system and how that works and also Oliver McIntyre from Barclays in the UK giving his view on agriculture. Roger Bell, now you've come all the way from County Antrim in Northern Ireland, a beef and sheep farmer but also an award winning one at that. (laughs) Yes we have, we've won a few awards, we've been lucky enough in the award scene. Now, a lot of hard work goes into getting put up for these awards. Obviously, you've done something maybe a little bit more different than the other farmers. Um, probably the only thing we have done different is we have recorded our data, so um, we can probably prove what we are doing on daily live weight gains and grass production. So we're measuring grass and recording how much grass we can grow, and we're measuring daily live weight gains in our lambs. So 
we're probably not doing a whole lot different than any other people, but that we're able to say what we are exactly doing and um, probably adjusting things accordingly. But that there alone, being you know nominated to, for an award like that to be a Farmers Weekly finalist, it's a huge, huge achievement, and you know a credit to you both. Yes, it was. Um, it was a, a probably a big achievement. It's it's really hard for a a wee man in, in Northern Ireland to actually compete against the rest of the UK for the farms in the, the UK are stunning compared to what um, we have in, in Northern Ireland. Um, but we are the Emerald Isle, we can, we can grow grass and we can grow grass really well. Um, and uh, probably I try and put that to my advantage. Well that's it, you're saying you're from County Antrim, a family farm only starts off quite a small family farm but you've managed to plug away at it and, and buy your own land. Yeah, we have increased the size of the farm. Um, probably like everywhere else, um, farmland is very expensive. And, uh, but we've been lucky enough to, to purchase a couple of bits of land beside us, um, which we're still paying off. And uh, hopefully we'll get cleared at some stage. <laughs> I think that's most farms, you know, they, they don't come, uh, come easy a lot of the time. But sheep farming is your main enterprise with your wife, Hilary. You know, it's a good team effort together. Very much team effort. Um, actually, maybe if you asked Hillary, it's not it's a bigger team effort as she would like because she does most of it on her own. Um, so I still work off farm quite a bit, and um, Hillary does probably ninety percent of the farm work, day to day chores. And it obviously is no mean feat. Five hundred and fifty ewes. You know, you've got a really really good system there. This time of year, they'll be inside now. Yeah. So our ewes are, are housed probably um, December, depending on the weather. Um, we'll actually have to even winter graze our sheep, um, so probably half of them come October time and um, just because our, gra our grass stops growing, we're, we're quite high up um, altitude, it gets wet, so we'll have to destock. So some of them go to winter grazing, local dairy farmers that have a surplus of grass um, and then we'll house everything at scanning time which will happen around Christmas and, and then that will be them inside from that until mid-March. And now you obviously March you'll start lambing the sheep. You've got a fantastic setup. We've seen it here tonight on the slides. And lambing time must be quite intense. You know, it's an awful lot of use there to lamb. Lambing time is intense, yeah. So we sit with them 24 hours a day. Um, there's somebody in the shed at all times, and we put quite a bit of work into getting the sheep prepared for lambing. So at that point, there's no point in leaving them. So yeah, Hilary does the nights and I do the days. That seems to work really well for me, and, uh, and that's how we manage it, yeah. And you were saying about the pet lambs, it, it's the bane of everybody's life when a ewe has three or four lambs, she can't raise them herself, but you've developed a good system that works. We have, um, so we bought a lamb feeder, um, and a Volac lamb feeder, and um, quite an expensive lamb feeder it is too and um, but after the first year I couldn't do without it so it, it, when a, a ewe has three we take that lamb off her straight away so it might be the wee lamb it might be the big lamb we'll try and leave her with two lambs of even size we'll make sure that all of the lambs get colostrum um, and we lift that lamb straight away off and put it onto the feeder if you lift the lamb off at birth the first thing you have to do is fill it full of colostrum and it has to be used colostrum, but we'll put that straight onto the feeder at birth. And it'll go around that pen and it'll find the teat itself. Um, there's no point in trying to bring that lamb off the yo at two days old, because it will be a nightmare to try and get it to suck the feeder. Um, but if it has never sucked its mother, 
um, it'll go on to the feeder no problem. And with the percentage of you, you and with your scanning percentage, Roger, two hundred percent. You know that's going to be a lot of pet lambs. Yeah. So. Probably our, our scanning is usually over 200, so it can be 210, 220. Um, so that's where our surplus lambs come. So everything that has three is taken off, but every single that could possibly rear another lamb, we'll adopt a lamb on to that. So we'll try and put every yo out with two lambs. Um, it's not always the case. There's going to be singles, there's going to be yo's with one tit, there's going to be <laughs> yo's that, that lie down on a lamb. There's, there's all them things happen with us. Um, but we try to put everything out with two lambs and then the adoption lambs just go onto the feeder. And like you were saying, grass is a huge part of your enterprise and you do trials, different varieties. It was nice hearing your story there tonight saying of the lush green field, it actually wasn't doing any good for the stock. You know, what do you find with doing these trials? Does it vary much in the swords? It does seem to be a vast difference in swords. Um, palatability seems to be a very big thing. Um, there's quite a lot of manufacturers seem to be pushing these high sugar grasses, but they were actually very coarse, coarse and unpalatable. And a sheep is a very fussy animal. Cows wouldn't be as fussy, um, but sheep do seem to be very fussy and, and very fussy grazers as well. So if they don't like a bit of a field, they'll dander on to somewhere else. And what would you think that they would eat? A clover? You know, what type of things are perfect for the sheep? Because obviously you do a lot of lamb finishing as well off grass. Yeah, we do finish all our lambs off grass. Uh, we don't feed them any meal. Um, we do predominantly trying to get all our lambs finished off grass. So clover seems to be very good. There's, there's lots of different grass seeds out there. I haven't found the perfect one yet, or I would love to be telling you all about it. Um, we're still searching, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. And with the grass system, would you do the, like the New Zealand style with the rotational grazing, or is it set? Yeah, we're very much ro uh, rotational grazing. So we're runner ewes in two batches, um, 250 ewes in their lambs in each batch, and they're rotationally grazed. Um, we did do a trial there for three years on an eight paddock or a four paddock system, to see which one was best. Um, the eight paddock come out slightly ahead, and uh, so that's roughly what we would be doing now, would be an eight paddock system and rotationally grazing them every two to three days. And with this, Roger, is there any room for improvements? Because you're so into the data, you know, you're doing everything so efficiently. What next? Um, there's massive room for improvement. There really is, um, especially on grassland management. Um, on the breed side of things, um, they're probably we're still looking for that perfect yo, um, but I think it's going to be slower and harder to get. There's probably advantages on BVDs and uh, performance recording, um, but on the grassland and the grassland side of things, um, it's very easy to make a slight improvement. The average grass produced by a sheep farmer is three tons, and um, you have potential to just produce 14 or 15. Mm, yeah. So yeah. some of our best fields were doing 14 and the average farmer's doing three. Wow. So we, yeah. can, we can do that with actually very little more effort. Um, we can produce more grass. Utilizing grass is actually probably more difficult than producing it. And for the future, how do you see the agricultural industry? Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I don't really study Brexit. Um, there's a lot smarter people than me can't figure it out, so I reckon there's no point in me even trying. Um, I think we do just have to focus on what we can improve um, and focus on that. Focus on the things we can 
help on our own farms and just hope that um, the politicians and everybody else um, do actually get a quite a good deal and help us along. Oliver McIntyre, welcome back to the Isle of Man. You seem you to quite much. enjoy it here. I do enjoy it here, but uh, as I've already said earlier, it's, every time I come, I seem to have a cold. So I don't know. Maybe I'm allergic to, to the to the air in the middle of the Irish Sea. I don't know, but um, maybe you are. But with Barclays here tonight, it is a great turnout again. Uh, fabulous turnout. Really uh, keen and interested group. Some great questions. A couple of great speakers from uh, the sheep sector and the beef sector. Really enjoyed those, uh, and lots of lots of fresh ideas and new ideas. It must be really good for you because obviously grown up as as a farmer's son and pig farming and agriculture consultant you really know the bones of agriculture and now it's very testing times so it's uh, a lot of weight on your shoulders um to have the answers <laughs> yeah 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 always always got to have the answers haven't you um yeah i mean you know I, I, I grew up on a small family farm so not dissimilar to an awful lot of farms on the isle of man um you know, we, uh, I went away to agricultural college, uh, did about 10 years managing farms, about six years in consultancy, uh, and I've been with the bank lending money and, and doing this job for, gosh, 14 years now. So um, I've got, uh, you know, some people would say I've got an interesting and varied career. I think my mother <laughs> says I never stick at anything for very long. So t take your pick from, from either. But it has been an interesting spell, that 14 years in, in bank. You'll see a massive change or two. Yeah, I mean, when I, I came into banking in 2006, so just before the credit crunch, um, so um, they were challenging times anyway. Um, but, you know, what we've got to remember is agriculture is always one of the really favoured sectors uh, for UK banks and here on the Isle of Man. You know, it's a solid industry. It's always an industry in demand and it's always an industry that the banking sector is going to support. Yeah, that is the thing that the people do worry about is the support from the banks. You know, it, we've got an eight-year transition period. How do you see farmers? Are they going to adapt? Are they ready? Yeah, you know, it's a really good, really good point because um, you know, we, banking does support agriculture. Full stop. But it's not blind support, you know. Um, the, the, there's got to be serviceability when debt's going out the door. That's that's just responsible banking. Uh, you know, we can't lend money that people can't afford to pay back. What changes are we going to see over the next uh, sort of eight, nine years uh, as we go through our transition period? Uh, I think we're going to see uh, a bit of a sea change in um, efficiency. Uh, and that's that's not about banging out more litres per cow or more lambs per ewe. It's actually just about that cost of production, making the business as efficient as possible. Um, I think we will see, hopefully, some uh, opportunities for new entrants coming into the industry. You know, uh, we are an industry, and, I, and I'm one of them. We are an industry of, of middle-aged men, uh, <laughs> predominantly. Uh, you know, it's great. I do an awful lot of stuff with new entrants and, and you know, the, the sort of next generation sort of programs and you know it's really great the enthusiasm that uh, some people have to get into the industry and and it's it's fresh pair of eyes as we as we chatted about earlier um we're also probably going to see some changes to the environmental schemes um you know carbon greenhouse gases uh, they're all hot topics in the minute uh, the industry needs to um get the good good messages out there uh, because because we're not all evil are we in the world of agriculture uh, we're actually doing a really vibrant uh, vibrant community in the rural areas and we're providing providing food for the nation so you know there's there's really important work out there but we, we mustn't be blind to public opinion either we must work with it well, yeah, you're absolutely right there because you know everybody's entitled to their opinions, and we as farmers we have you know have to be sustainable. We we have to have a product that works well for both parties. 
yeah, absolutely. And you know, there are so many dietary choices these days. Uh, you know, but you know, farmers can grow crops too. So uh, you know, it, it, it is a bit of change uh, does you good, apparently. Um, but yeah, a bit, a bit of variety, a bit of change. Uh, you know, and um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, a passionate meat eater. I think would be the phrase. But as you say, everybody's entitled to an opinion. Everybody's entitled to live their life uh, as, as they wish. So you know, the industry needs to evolve and move with that instead of resisting it. This is it exactly. And how do you see Brexit? You know, these trade deals, labour technology, all these things you touched on in your presentation tonight, Oliver. How, how are we sitting? Um, we, we, we're still sitting in the great unknown at the minute by the look of it, um, to be honest. Uh, I do think the sort of the, the, the tone and language seems to have changed uh, regarding a trade deal, so that's, that's really positive for the industry. You know, uh, the EU is one of our biggest trading partners, so um, you know, it, it's really important to maintain that. But you know, let's not be shy about uh, looking at other markets around the world. We've got a, uh, you know, the, the power of the Union Jack or the Welsh Dragon or the Scottish Salter or you know, the Isle of Man brand. You know, we must remember that. Uh, um, that, that, you know, that quality that they see from UK agriculture and from the agriculture on the Isle of Man is really important. It's a really good sales thing as well. You know, we, we can get out there and we can conquer other markets as well. That is really great and, and so positively put too, Oliver. One of your points that you made in your, um, your presentation tonight was the sheep industry. It, you know, the sheep meat goes out and, she, and, and wine comes in. That was a, a really, really... Like, I don't know what you want to call it, a promising point actually, you know, it's a reminder of how important it is. Well, you know, it's, it's NFU England figures, you know, 100, roughly 145 million of sheep exports, lamb exports to France, uh, uh, you know, 145 million is an awful lot of money, but 700 million pounds worth of wines imported, <laughs> uh, which is, which is a, a vital trading relationship as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, th there will be deals to be done. And in a nutshell, to round off, how do you see agriculture in, in the next few years? Oh, I think it's, it's tremendously exciting. You know, I've, um, I've been involved in the industry all my life, but, you know, since, since leaving school and working at home, you know, you, you're getting towards 35 years of, of farming experience. I think the coming eight years and the, the coming decades are going to be so exciting. Uh, there is going to be a lot of change, uh, and, and as an industry, you know... Uh, not just farming, but you know, perhaps it's a, a human trait. You know, we, we resist change, but actually, we, we need to go out there and embrace it because actually, Barclays Agriculture is hugely positive about the, about the coming eight to ten years and that transition period where we've we've got the time to change and we've got the time to develop as businesses. That was Roger Bell from County Antrim in Northern Ireland and Oliver McIntyre from Barclays. Um, yeah, pointing out a few things to do with. Uh, a lot of sort of greener targets to be set, which, of course, mean initial costs, don't they? Well, this is it. We're very fortunate here on the Isle of Man. We have the UNESCO biosphere, which farmers and country people have been working over the last decades to have it as brilliant as it is. So not much really needs to be altered to make it an even better place. You know, that's the highest status we can get. But there is you know, new environmental plans coming in and farmers are going to have to adapt and change. Um, it's coming away from maybe food production with a growing population. It is a bit of a concern, but um, anything to make the environment better, um, you know, you certainly have to embrace it. You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermud and myself, Simon Clark. Well, Kiri, a few 
plans over the years. You'll remember the me- uh, Millennium Oak pretty well, won't you? When yeah, the lovely Connie Hook from Blue Peter then came over and they planted the woods in the year 2000, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. And was... uh, th- then when you look back now, it's 20 years later, a lot of them kids that um, planted them trees will be you know, working in offices or on farms or something like that, looking back at it. Um, but Russian commissioners have come up with uh, an idea uh, to help, obviously, with the uh, you know the global warming scenario that's going, and they wanted to do their bit. So I spoke to David Radcliffe from Russian commissioners, and I asked him, first of all, how this tree planting initiative came about. There's an idea that came to me last uh Last year, last November, really, I've been reading a lot more about the problems with climate change, and that was the thing that really sort of made me think about possibly something that we on Russian commissioners could do. I mean, obviously, we're not going to save the world, but it's uh, it's something that uh, you know, planting and growing trees has become acknowledged as as something that will will help to to absorb some of the excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So that was the basic idea and um, went from there. I, you know, um, Russian's quite a big parish, quite a big area, and uh, there's lots of land and there's, there's lots of land that's not really used to its full potential, perhaps. And, you know, I spotted this piece up uh, near Balaclawi, which is just rough hill land growing nothing more than briars and bracken really and um, I just thought well what about up there if we could get some cooperation from the forestry people and the, the tenant up there so that was the that was the start of it really yeah yeah I mean is there a lot behind the scenes to sort of get this project going really a lot um, of hoops to get through no, surprisingly no there weren't that many um, I had a word with the forestry people and they had a look at the site and they thought, um, well, it was, I think it was Jason Bolt, I think he's the director of forestry, he, I think he had a look at it and thought it was probably a reasonable enough site. So, so from there um, I approached uh, Paul Castain who's got the grazing rights up there um, just to see what he thought of the idea because he would obviously lose a bit of, a bit of his grazing um, when the land was planted. but. Uh, Paul was quite supportive of, of the idea really from the from the start so from there we um, I got in touch with the Woodland Trust who, who do a lot of pl- tree planting around the island to see if they were interested in the idea and their their site surveyor had a look at it and thought again that was a reasonable enough site and uh, so it was all you know it was fairly straightforward the only sticking point was we we couldn't get a, a fencing contractor with enough time to to fence the land off last year, so hence it's it's been delayed till this year before we got round to starting the planting. Well, when when you look at the area concerned, there is quite quite a bit of sort of flat land around that area, and it, 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 we were advised about uh, maybe how difficult it might be to keep them there with the with the winds and things. Or? Um. No, it's, it's quite sheltered, really, because it's on the it's it's in the lee of the hill, so it's, oh, it's right. fairly sheltered from the southwesterly winds, the prevailing winds. So, uh, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, it's quite rough. There'll be quite a bit of site preparation. We've done a bit with. It's it's really too. We asked if we could get if possibly get a machine up there to knock back the 
the remnants of the bracken from last year and the briars and all, but uh, nobody wanted to do it. It was a bit, bit steep, a bit rocky, so we've just been clearing it with brush cutters, really. So uh, having a quick clear and then the, the planting starts. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when when you sort of put this idea forward and then obviously the commissioners discuss it and then the people of the parish get to hear about it. I mean, did, did many come up and say, yeah, it's a good idea, this, uh, uh, I'd like to help out? Um, to be honest, <laughs> not that many, but it hasn't been that well publicised because we've had this delay with the fencing. Um, and it's only last week that we've got started on it, really. So, uh, yeah, there's been a few people interested enough and... Uh, I probably had about thirty people up there last weekend for the first for the first initial mm. planting. So uh, mixture of mixture of uh, people from the Woodland Trust and and a few from around about the, the south here. Mm. Yeah. But, but people, I suppose, listen or remember in two thousand the the Millennium Oak up by the hospital there oh, getting yeah, planted yeah. and stuff. And when you look now, it's twenty years back, and the kids that planted that, we've mm. grown up and working somewhere now, and yeah. possibly. You know, you hear reports that a lot of them still go back and have a look at the trees they planted yeah, all those well, years yeah, ago. So it'd yeah, be nice, yeah. nice if the youngsters would be involved with their parents with that stuff. Yeah, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll hopefully we'll get a get a few more next weekend. Get a bit more publicity. Mm. <laughs> the, the, the the planting date was sort of sprung on us a bit. A bit we uh, didn't have that much notice to publicise it for last weekend. So mm. hopefully we we'll get. We're planning on carrying on planting probably for the next four or five weekends, so probably on a Sunday, weather permitting. So, yeah. And what yeah. what type of trees? Is it uh, the one type of tree you're doing, well, or several? It's really, I've really left that to the the chap from the Woodland Trust, Steve Prescott, who supplies the 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 stock for the Woodland Trust planting. So, uh, last weekend it was mostly birch and oak, I think, that were planted. Um, a few hollies and I think probably get some ash as well um, yeah but they'd all be all, all, all be sort of you know native species broadleaf native species so yeah, yeah. But, but as it said at the start there you know it, it's becoming culture that the young kids are getting educated about this at school more yeah. uh, now and a lot of them seem to be getting behind and wanting to do something. I suppose yeah. it's the perfect opportunity. Yeah. Well, that, that was it, really. Yeah. It was, a, you know, a chance for people to do a bit and, you know, become a bit more aware of what's uh, going on. What, uh, as far as the climate change issue goes, I think people have, in the last year or two, started to realise that uh, the climate is changing and we do need to try and do something about it. So. As I said before, we're not going to save the world in Russia any more than any one country in the world is going to save it. It really takes everybody to work together, you know. So, so if yeah. people people want to get involved, help the planter at the weekend, um, yeah. what, what can they do? Well, they <coughs> can get in touch with me or um, Russian Commissioner's office. Um, the, I think the standard t start time, as I said, weather permitting, would be 10.30 on a Sunday morning, so... But, but I mean, the, the size of this area then, uh, David, is it, is it quite a, a vast area? Are you, you going to plant them all at once, or is it an uh, ongoing one? It's about, I think it's about five acres, roughly, um, and we were looking to plant about 1,500 probably this year, and 
maybe the same again next year until the site's full uh, and we'll just see see how it goes so you know once the trees are planted there'll be maintenance we'll need to keep on top of the, the, the bracken particularly in the first year or two you know to allow the trees to become established so there'll be, be that to tackle as well um, uh, possibly in years to come we might look at planting some more somewhere else we'll have to see see how it goes yeah, yeah. David Radcliffe from Russian Commissioners. And if you want to get involved in that or find out more information, you can call the Commissioner's office on 834-501. That's 834-501. Or you can phone David himself on 456-784. Doing that bit, Kerry? Yes, it seems to be the thing at the moment, planting trees and, and like you say, it every little helps um, and there's plenty of rough areas on the Isle of Man that can be planted with trees and uh, be beneficial to all we like the fruit trees around our area we've got lots of people keeping bees mm. and often in the summertime you see the bees coming up and enjoying the fruit as well as us so I think you know if people can do just whatever they can in their own back gardens every little helps it does indeed. Okay, we've got a couple of weeks off now, Kerry. So uh, if you've got anything that you want featured on Countryside, leave a message here at Manx Radio for Kerry Kermode or Simon Clark, or you can send an email to countryside at manxradio.com. So from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermode. We'll see you then. Bye bye. Bye bye.